0: about it. I want to tell you something really fun. You you know that 2 years ago, uh, we launched a generosity initiative here at Genesis called Greater Our Goal over the 2 years was to raise $7.5 million as a church family, to do something we have never done before uh, so that we could further make disciples, reach our cities, and change the world. And uh, if you've given to Genesis at all this year, uh, you've already had a chance to hear this exciting news because this week we sent out some giving updates. But uh, here it is. This past uh, week we announced, again, our goal, $7.5 million over two years on Easter Sunday. Well, here's what happened. We surpassed the $7.5 million goal mark as a church. And uh, I don't know. I feel like the Lord deserves more than our applause, but that just seems the most appropriate and uh, best to do now. But it, it really is phenomenal that we did that as a church family together, that God did that work uh, through our church, uh, because who would have thought, you know, two years ago, uh, especially to do something like this through a, a global pandemic with all of the ups and downs and craziness. Uh, this is more than we've ever uh, given together as a church before. We've, because of it, we've given more away. Uh, in the last two years than we have ever given away before to other ministries locally and around the world. We have been able to fund and grow ministries here through our own church. Again, that was a big part of the goal. We have been able to start making some physical improvements at our Carmel campus because we've got a second location there's some things we need to do there to kind of get that facility uh, to where it needs to be. But I'm also pleased to report that we've been able to set aside $3 million uh, for a future Noblesville location. And that was a big part of the event too. We love this space, but we lease it And uh, for all sorts of different reasons, we know it's time to start looking for a new home. And so we have been looking and praying for a new home. There was something that we were looking at that was up for sale. Unfortunately, it's not on the market anymore. And so we are back to square one. Like, there's nothing right now. But the Lord knows. And I I got to thinking about this the other day. Like, sometimes the Lord doesn't give... Well, we know this, right? We all know. He, He doesn't give us the full picture And like, sometimes I wish he did, but then I got to thinking about it, you know, if two and a half years ago, when we started talking about greater, if the Lord said, okay, I want you to lead through this financial event, oh, but by the way, you're going to do a, you're going to go through a global pandemic at the very same time. We all would have taken a big step back and said, no way, absolutely not. We're not doing anything like that. But the Lord knew. And he said, no, I, I want you to follow me faithfully and I want you to trust me. And so you uh, have joined us and just say, hey, we're going to trust the Lord together. We're going to follow him through this and see what he wants to accomplish. And so I just want to say thank you for your trust. Uh, Thanks for your support uh, through all of this. Thanks for your sacrificial giving. Uh, We believe that God still has a a new campus, a new location in mind uh, for our Noblesville campus. We're We're just trusting him. You know, the Lord knows. And so we're praying, we're believing, we believe he's positioned us to be able to respond when something does become available. And I just want to say this, as you think about your giving and your participation here at Genesis and now even with greater coming to an end, I know some of you are asking, okay, what do I do now? Especially if you had been giving over and above, we just want to remind you that's on you. Uh, That's between you and the Lord. And so we just would invite you to pray about that and respond as He would lead you. But consider this is, I just encourage you to look back and to just see His faithfulness and how He's provided for you the last couple of years. Think about the stories of the money we've been able to give away and invest in other ministries locally and around the world but let's just keep trusting the Lord praying and asking him what he wants to do through each of us so that he can do more through our church together and if you want to know what generosity and giving looks like here at Genesis well it is a big part of our church you can read more about it on our website if you're interested in how you can give here at Genesis there are boxes on the wall in the back of the room you can give online as well Before we continue, let's just stop and pray together and just give thanks to God uh, for his continued work and faithfulness. God, we do thank you. Uh, Thank you for how, over these last two years, uh, you've led us. You are our good and you're our great shepherd. Thank you for providing for our church. Uh, Thank you for providing through individuals and families, students, Lord, that have given faithfully and sacrificially. Uh, these last two years thank you for how you have taken these gifts and multiplied them and used them for even greater things Uh, not just here locally but around the world as well lord we want to help people find their way back to god and uh, we want others to know the name of jesus Uh, thank you we we praise you we give you thanks for all that you do and uh, we just ask that you'd lead us from here Uh, we're trusting you for things like future facilities and uh, believing that you've got a new home in mind even for our noblesville campus lord we trust you and uh, we will follow your lead and uh, father we invite you uh, to just continue your work in each of us here today even as i share lord i pray that you would give me words today i pray uh, that you would give us minds to listen and process ears to hear uh, a heart to respond to what you may have to us today we offer this time all of this time to you and it's in jesus name we pray Uh, amen I was uh, going through some files the other day. I don't have many files because nobody really has many files anymore unless you, you know, do something that requires files. And I don't have many of them, but I have a few. I came across one of them, actually, that uh, contained in it the results from a number of different personality tests. That I've taken over the years. You've probably done some of these things before, things like the Myers-Briggs test, the uh, uh, DISC profile that was in there. There uh, were the results from a Strengths Finder test that I had taken in the past. And then, of course, the Enneagram. And I know some of you are cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs about the Enneagram and all of that. I don't know a lot about it except that I'm a two, to which those of you that know a lot about it say, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Of, of course, you're a two. But uh, uh, if you, it, it, all jokes aside, like tests like these can be really helpful. Uh, you learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about other people, the teams that you're a part of, and how you function together. Well, there's another test that I remember taking when I interviewed for a job something like 20 years ago, and it's one that shows you the kind of animal personality that you have. Anybody, I don't know if you've ever taken one like this before. It'll reveal to you whether you're a lion, uh, you're the otter, uh, you're the golden retriever, uh, or the beaver. I, I think my results came back the golden retriever. But maybe you've taken something like this before and you automatically uh, know what you are. Maybe you kind of got a hunch what you are. Maybe you have no idea at all. Well, lions are decisive leaders, uh, naturally competitive and self-starters. Otters are fun, enthusiastic, lovers of people. Uh, golden retrievers are loyal, uh, good-natured, strong team players. Beavers are organized, hard workers, uh, people that keep their head down and go. And so maybe you kind of got a guess of who you are, or if you just think about the people that you live with, maybe you can make some assumptions about where they would land in this personality test. How about being compared to a sheep? right? Well, sheep doesn't show up on the screen. Sure, most of us, when we think of sheep, we think of cute and cuddly and fluffy, kind of like our group's pastor, Ben Krause. He's a lot like that, right? Uh, but sheep, actually, they stink. They're stubborn. They're defenseless and real smart. The sheep, of course. I'm not talking about Ben anymore. Uh, that illustration's over. But, but guess what animal Jesus compares us to? Not, not a lion, not an otter, not a rhino or anything like that, but a sheep He says we're all like sheep, but that's not all bad news either because sheep need a shepherd. They need a leader. They need an influencer. And if the sheep is following the right shepherd, well, that can make a huge difference and impact in the well-being of the sheep. Today, I want to talk with you about sheep and shepherds and the kind of influence that you allow into your life. If you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 10. Uh, John is in the New Testament. It's the fourth book. Uh, in the New Testament, Uh, John chapter 10. We're continuing in our series called Grow. Here's what we've been doing at Genesis. We've been reading and studying through the, the book of John all of this year. And and we've got a couple of goals. One is to get to know Jesus better as best as we can so that we can grow in our faith, all right, as individuals, but also that God would use us to keep growing our church family closer and stronger to one another. And so we're going to keep reading through John these next few weeks, and then we're going to take a break for the sum- summer, do something else, and then we'll come back to John the 1st of August, and that'll take us all the way up to Thanksgiving as we finish up this book. But John 10 today, John 10 is a result of. Of what happened in John chapter 9. What happened there? Jesus healed a man who was born blind. The Pharisees didn't like it because Jesus performed this healing on the Sabbath. And so we've got a healed man ready to follow Jesus and a cranky group of Pharisees trying to disrupt all of Jesus' work. Let's pick it up in John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Here's what we read. Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees. And it's important that we recognize when Jesus says, very truly, or truly, truly, it means, hey, this is a really, really big deal. The audience, the people he's got in mind that he's talking to are the Pharisees. These are the religious leaders of the day. These are the ones that are upset that Jesus has just performed a healing on the Sabbath. We read, anyone, Jesus said, who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. Who's got the vision issues? Back to chapter 9. The Pharisees do. They're blind. They're the blind ones here. Their sin has prevented them from seeing the good things Jesus was doing. So Jesus shares this analogy to make the point. He's going to compare. People like the blind man from John chapter 9 to the sheep. Uh, The Pharisees are like the thieves and the robbers that Jesus will reference here. Of course, Jesus is the shepherd. And the analogy is brilliant because in Israel, sheep and shepherds and sheep pens were a regular part of everyday life. Sheep pens like the the, the picture shown here. With the wall that extends most of the way around it with the cave in the background, these rocks would be piled high. To keep people out. The Good shepherds would also put uh, things like glass and thorns and other sharp objects along the top of the wall, again, to keep the thieves, to keep the predators out. Note the opening, note the doorway. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But why does Jesus use this word picture of sheep and shepherd and sheep pens? The Old Testament does, all right? This is a part of everyday life, but in the Old Testament, more than once is God described as the shepherd. The Messiah is described as the one who would lead. Jesus is the good shepherd, Psalm 23, all right? The people, we are like the sheep. Again, following the shepherd. How are we like sheep? Well, think about some of the characteristics of sheep. I don't know a lot about sheep, but I read about them, all right? Sheep get lost easily, which is why uh, sheep, uh, it was essential that a, that a sheep had a shepherd, all right? And, and, and why they would travel in flocks together in the same way, isn't it true? We get distracted, all right? Life circumstances uh, can cause us to lose our way, to lose focus. Is it any wonder that God's word says in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, That we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And so we get lost. Uh, We get distracted easily. Also, uh, sheep are defenseless. All right? They don't have fangs. They don't have claws or wings to fly. They can't run fast or spike you like a porcupine. The best they can do is to say, back off. Is that good? Does that work? I got, it got a good response in the first service. We took a vote. Should I do it in the second service? And most said yes, all right? So we, so we did it here in the second. But. So they're defenseless. They're stubborn. They're filthy animals. They, they can't keep themselves clean. A, a smart, caring shepherd works hard to keep the sheep away from things like poisonous plants and contaminated water. A good shepherd uh, provides first aid and ongoing care to a sheep uh, to help it heal, especially when they've been wounded. Here, here's just what I want you to see: like we're we're a lot more like sheep than we realize. We get lost. Uh, isn't it true? We wander. We we get distracted by life. Life circumstances have a way of messing with our minds and the way that we think about things and the way we process things, even what we believe. Like sheep, we're defenseless. I'm vulnerable. I can be a very anxious person. Sheep, were are very anxious. We're stubborn and prideful. Uh, we get wrapped up. We get focused on our own little self-centered worlds. We, we get wounded as life takes its toll on us. Like, like sheep, we need a protector. We need a caretaker. Like we really do need a shepherd, and that's not a bad thing. Like, it's not a bad thing to need a shepherd. In fact, it can be a really, really good thing. Like, following a shepherd, a good shepherd, can make all the difference in how you go through life. The joy and satisfaction you experience, the peace you enjoy, that is as long as you make sure you're following the right shepherd. Because there is a right one, there's a good one. And so, as we read through this passage today, we're going to discover three things about Jesus as our shepherd. Uh, If we look at the first six verses, we're going to see Jesus' relationship with his sheep. Uh, As we looked at this next section, after that, we're going to see his provision for his sheep. And finally, in the last section, we're going to see Jesus' heart for his sheep. We can only go so far, spend so much time, all right, because we all want to eat today talking about these things. But even just giving you a heads up on those three words will give you an opportunity as you think and study this week about what Jesus does for us, really these uh, um, characteristics of a shepherd. Let's pick it up in verse 3. But the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Again, just look at the relationship language in this passage. The shepherd calls his sheep by name and leads them out. Think about this. If there are multiple shepherds in any given area and a number of different flocks, like how do you tell all the sheep apart? Or at night... All right, sometimes the sheep pens, like we looked at a moment ago, would be filled with multiple groups of sheep, different flocks of sheep. And so how do you keep them all straight? In the morning, like, how do you know which sheep belong to your flock? Well, the voice of the shepherd becomes extremely important. Here's why. Gary Burge is a a scholar when it comes to the Gospel of John. He shares the story of Arab shepherds and how well. They know their sheep. He tells this. He says, during the Palestinian uprising in the late 1980s, the Israeli army decided to punish a village near Bethlehem uh, for not paying their taxes. And so the officer in command rounded up all of the animals, all of the sheep in that village and placed them in a wired pen. Well, later in the week, the officer was approached by a woman who begged him to release her Her sheep back to her, arguing that her husband was dead and that the sheep were her only source of survival. The officer pointed to the sheep pen and rather humorously suggested that if she could go to that pen and amongst the hundreds of sheep identify her exact and specific sheep, she could leave with them. She agreed. She signaled to her son. He stepped forward with a small flute, started to play the exact tune that they had played to their flock every day as they led them. And soon, one by one, the heads of the sheep started popping up, and one by one, these very sheep made their way to the gate, and the young man kept playing his tune and walked home with all 25 of his sheep following closely behind. Look at verse three. It says, the gatekeeper, all right, and this is Jesus here, calls the sheep by name and leads them out. The sheep listen because they know his voice. They are very familiar with him. They're comfortable with him because they've spent time together and the shepherd knows them. He understands things like their temperament. He knows how to get them to respond. He knows what they like to eat, how easily they're frightened. And as a good shepherd knows his sheep this way, well, Jesus is using this analogy so that we might understand the kind of relationship that he desires to have with you and with me, every single one of us. Like, this is Jesus. This isn't hard here. Like, this this is more obvious than we realize. He says, I know my people, and I call them by name. Like, it's a great reminder to us of the intimate knowledge that Jesus has about me. And about you. And as we see in places like Psalm 139, verse 15, when we read that my frame, David said, was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How well does he know you? Does he know me? He knew you before your parents knew you. Uh, before your, your parents knew each other, like you, you were his idea. He created you, God did. He formed you together in your mother's womb. And he, he is the one who brought you into this world. You belong to him. And what a powerful reminder for every single one of us that there is no person. There is no person on this earth here by accident. Every life is from God. Every life created by God. And I say that. While so much attention right now is on the the question of abortion and personal rights, and I know this, I know the pro-life, pro-choice battle is a complicated, emotional, uh, politically driven one, often fueled by the media. Can I please say this? As Christians... Please don't find your direction from your preferred political party. Instead, it is up to us. It is our responsibility to seek our wisdom and our direction and truth from the Word of God. And the Word of God reminds us that every life matters to God. Every life. And that includes the life of the unborn, just as it includes His love and care for the mother of that child, as well as the immigrant, the prisoner, the poor, and the hurting. Every life matters to God, matters to Jesus, and therefore should matter to you and me because he knows you and he knows me and he knows us from the inside out. He knows your past. Every bit of it, he knows, you know, even those pieces about us that we often try and hide from others. He knows what's on your mind today, your desires and longings, the things that stress you out. He knows those little ticks and hang-ups that we have. He knows our hurts and he knows our dreams, but he doesn't just know us. The Bible says that we can know him too. If you skip ahead for just a moment to verse 14, Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me do you how understand how amazing it is that you and i can know god personally that we can know god through jesus christ the god who created the sun and the stars and things like the grand canyon like he created you and he knows you the bible says that he knows the number of hairs on your head it says that he knows and realizes every tear you've ever cried he knows you and he wants wants you to know him as intimately as he knows you and you and I that we can know him notice that verse 4 says he, his sheep follow him because they hear his voice and do you want to know why the sheep know the shepherd's voice because they spend all day with him they get used to they spend time around his voice they listen and obey his voice and last week we talked about how, to, how to, talked about how obedience can open our eyes to help us see it's fair to say that regular obedience will teach you and I to be better listeners, to be able to discern his voice. And, and so often, and, and I felt this too before, I, I will hear people who will say, I just want God to tell me what to do. Like, I just want to hear his audible voice. Have you, you ever thought that before? I've thought that before. I think that all the time. All right, and, and, and this usually, it seems to come in the form of a big decision we have to make, like choosing a job or choosing a house or a spouse or a, or a college. We just say, you know, we, we want God to speak audibly into our lives so that we know. But the truth is that, that God desires, He is ready. He is speaking to us all the time. He speaks to us all the time through His Word. He speaks to us through prayer. He speaks to us through the wise counsel of other sheep. Who are following the same shepherd that we do, but it's worth asking, how well do I listen? Like, if he is speaking, am I really listening? Or maybe better yet, if I'm listening, well, am I obeying? Because it's one thing to hear it, it's another thing to put it into practice. If we struggle to obey, like, even in the most basic things, we're gonna struggle to hear his voice. And so, even when he does speak to us, in those larger moments, like have we trained our ears, have we trained our brains to listen? The Bible says that the person who is faithful with a little bit will be faithful with much. And so if you want God to speak into your big decisions, well, I guess you and I need to make sure that we're listening and responding in the smaller ones, too. Even the basic things, like if we're asking Him to provide a better job with better, pre- better pay well, am I listening to what he has to say about giving and generosity? If you, if you want him to help you choose a college, well, then make sure you're obeying his commands about choosing wise friends and, and how you use your time. If you want to, to, him to help you into or find a serious relationship, make sure you're honoring him in the current one you're in. If, if obedience, well, obedience in these, these everyday decisions can train us to be better listeners, to be able to better discern his voice. Now, the Pharisees, again, they're the kind of primary audience here. They hear all of this about a relationship with the shepherd, but they're not understanding. So, Jesus goes on to talk about how he also provides for his sheep. Pick it up in verse 7. It says, Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it, Jesus says. Have it to." The full Jesus uses this curious statement that I am the gate for the sheep. Now wait, I thought Jesus was the shepherd in the story. How can he be the shepherd and the gate? Well, he's Jesus. He can be whatever he wants. But this is a really cool kind of explanation just to kind of put it in context. Uh, Sir George Adam Smith was one of the great Old Testament scholars of the 19th, early 20th centuries. And he told this story about how one day he was traveling in the Mideast uh, with a guide, and they came across a shepherd and his sheep. So they got into this conversation with him, and the man showed him the fold, all right, the sheep pen, a picture like what we looked at a moment ago, into which the sheep would be led into at night, and how it consisted with walls, and there was only one way to get in. And Sir George said to him, okay, that's where they go at night, yes, said the shepherd. And then when they're in there, the shepherd said they're perfectly safe but this Sir George pointed out, but there's no door. And the shepherd said, no, I'm the door. And he wasn't a Christian man, so he wasn't just speaking like in New Testament language or something. He was speaking from an Arab shepherd standpoint. And Sir George looked at him and said, well, what do you mean by you're the door? No, the shepherd said, no, when the light's out, when it's dark and all the sheep are inside, I lie down in the open space. And never, no sheep ever goes in or out without crossing my body. No wolf comes in unless he crosses my body. I'm the door. Back to our picture again, that the shepherd will literally lie down on the ground as the door while all of the sheep are inside. And I just think when you understand the context of that statement, especially from the Middle Eastern shepherd, like it's really pretty fascinating that to protect the sheep, The shepherd will lie down at night in the doorway, and now Jesus said, oh yeah, that's what I'm like. I'm the living door. And so picture Jesus gathering all of his sheep in one place for their safety, provision, and protection, and then lying down across the opening as the door. It's his way of saying, I know what my sheep need. I am the protector. I am your provider. No one is coming through that door unless they cross my dead body. I'm not really sure there are any adequate words to describe what Jesus does for us. That he's willing to put himself in between you and I and the danger, he is willing to be our provider. He's willing to lose his life for you, like Jesus is willing to lose his life for you because he loves for you, loves you, but also because he loves his father. Like Jesus was sent by his father to die. That was the mission. And Jesus obediently submitted himself to his father's plan, and he died for you and me. Verse 10 says, I have come so that they may have life and have it to the full. In fact, the Old Testament portrays, think Psalm 23 All right, I am the good shepherd. You know, he is the good shepherd. I have in that shepherd everything that I need. The Old Testament portrays this picture of the shepherd who can lead the sheep, the flock, into the greenest pastures. Now, this doesn't mean that you and I won't ever face problems. All right, that we're not going to go through difficult times because in another parable, the gospel writer Matthew captures a story of Jesus and this builder who builds two houses. All right? He builds one on a sandy foundation. He builds another one on a rock-solid foundation. The storm comes, all right? And notice the storm comes to both of them. Which house collapses? It's the one built on the sand. Again, part of the point is that both face the same storm, but the question we're forced to wrestle with is that when the storms come into your life, would you rather have your house, your life, built on the firm foundation of our good shepherd, Jesus, we're built on the sand of the things of this world. And I know that most of us would say we want the firm foundation. But think about how often we choose, well, we choose to do life the way we wanna do life. We build, and we build a lot of our identity on things like our careers, our accomplishments, our hobbies, our families. We'll, we'll seek to live out our dreams and our kid's life or in somebody else's life that we wish we had. Jesus said we're all like sheep, which means we have this tendency to wander. And if we're not careful, and if we're not careful, we can also get caught following the wrong kind of shepherd. When Jesus was talking about thieves and robbers here, he was talking even about those false teachers and false influences, that poor, those poor influences that well, would come into people's lives, people like the Pharisees back then, but certainly are present in our lives today, like think about how easily we're led away by somebody else's opinion, someone else's worldview, this important matter. And it's important to remember, again, to remember that there are thieves out there, but at the very same time to remember that just as we have a Savior, we also have a very real enemy in Satan, and his objective is to steal, kill, and destroy. And if he can't destroy you right away, he's fine with that because he's fine to keep us distracted knowing that if you and I will take our eyes off of what is better, that he can more easily lure us away. And that's why we need a shepherd. And not just any shepherd, but the good shepherd, capital G, the one who fights for us, the one who protects us, the one who lays his life down. So then finally, Jesus goes on in this third section where he really shows us his heart for his sheep. And this is the last part we'll look at today, beginning in verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Just so there's no doubt, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. The word translated here for good is the Greek word kalos. It can be translated as noble, as uh, pure of heart or beautiful. This passage could also be translated then as I am the beautiful shepherd. And why is that what makes Jesus so beautiful? Is it the way he relates to us? He knows our pain He knows our grief. He knows our anxiety. Is it the way He calls us by name? Because He created you and me, every single one of us. Is it His promise to protect us from the phonies and counterfeits, those who pretend to have everything we ever need and more, but vanish when the danger approaches? Or perhaps is it His desire to offer every single one of us a satisfying, joy-filled kind of life. That's what Jesus, the Good Shepherd, wants for you and me. He wants a deep and meaningful relationship with you. He wants to be your provider and your protector. He wants to heal your wounds and to lead you through this life. And for some of you today, he wants you to know very specifically that he is the one, that Jesus Christ is the one who laid down his life for you. And he did it willingly. And that's an important word, especially when you realize that the soldiers didn't have to overcome Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He willingly surrendered his life to them. He could have easily called help down from heaven, but he didn't. He gave himself up. He laid his life down while he was hanging on the cross. Jesus could have cried out for help, but instead he cried up to his Father in heaven, and he said those words Into your hands I commit my spirit, and he could have given up on you and me. He could have decided that we were beyond saving, that we weren't worth it. But God, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God loved and God gave. And when you consider the price he paid, it has the potential to change everything about everything for you and me. Consider the story of American pilot, Purdue grad, Chesley Sully Solenberger. You know his story. He captained the airplane, 155 passengers safely landed on the Hudson River, even after the uh, plane's engine malfunction. I was reading this past week that a year after that miraculous landing, a reunion was held for all of the passengers and the flight crew, and the saved passengers one by one embraced Captain Sullenberger with tears as one said they finally realized the full scope of what he had done for them. As Christians, we love Jesus because of what he's done for us. One day, we'll see him face to face, and in that moment, we will fully and completely understand the depth of his amazing love. But he loves us. He, He laid down his life, and he paid the price so that we can spend eternity with him. But also so that you and I can trust him and follow him and walk with him each and every day as our good shepherd. Let me say this before we pray. The world right now is full of a lot of voices. So many so-called shepherds that promise this is the way and have so little to offer. Jesus' invitation is better and right. Jesus says, follow me, I'll be your friend. I'll be your leader. I'll provide and protect you. I gave up my life for you. He really is a good and beautiful shepherd. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your love and for your grace that you so loved me, each of us, this world, that you gave your one and only son, Jesus Christ, to be our savior, to be our shepherd, Lord. And we thank you. We thank you for the depths of your love. We can't completely understand it, Lord, but I pray that today we might know it just a little bit more. And for some here today in a very specific way, maybe it has to do with what's going on in their life, some of the things that they've experienced, where they may be hurting right now. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Father, we trust you. And, and maybe you would join me today in just saying this. We, we trust you and we want to follow you. We want to be completely obedient to you and wherever you would lead us and whatever life has for us, our eyes will be fixed on you, Jesus. Show us how to follow. Teach us how to follow. And give us the faith to trust you for everything that we need. And maybe for some here today, maybe today's the day that you need to pray, Jesus, you are my shepherd. I want to follow you. I want to put my life God we trust you we thank you thank you for Jesus for his life for his love and for his sacrifice and that you raised him from the dead and it's in your